You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. All right, if you want to come and grab a seat, we are going to be starting. So you've all got your books ready to go. This is Philippians. I'll be reading from the Welsh translation of the message. So, not really. I heard that at a wedding once, and I thought it was the funniest thing ever, and I've always wanted to do it. I never do Bible readings. Anyway, I'm excited. Philippians 1, we're going to read from verse 1 through to verse 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. To John. Good evening, everyone. Great to see you all. Um, I've just come back from speaking at one of our churches in Sunderland. And for those of you who are new to the vineyard, um, we're part of actually a wider church family. We're in about 100 nations and we have about 3,000 churches across the globe, and I was sent to Sunderland (laughs) instead of Hawaii. So God didn't answer that prayer. And um, so, yeah, so I've been on the road for about five hours round trip. So this is like the best sermon you've ever heard or the worst. And uh, so show some grace and come back next week. But, uh, you know, God is so good. 23 years ago, I was um, traveling around the world in my gap year just before I came to Hall University. And uh, I, I went to a small church in Brisbane, Australia, and it was um, in a shopping center. And on the top floor, there was this tiny little room where there was a church. And I went there, and the guest speakers and worship leaders were from a church in Sunderland. And I've never been to Sunderland in my life, and that's the only connection I have with Sunderland from that happened 23 years ago. And the reason they were there is that they were a, a kind of like a revival had happened uh, in the early 90s in Sunderland. It was called the Sunderland Outpouring, Sunderland Refreshing, and amazing things happened. And the first, uh, and they were there kind of like as missionaries being sent from Sunderland to Australia. And so, um, and the first song that they sang, uh, they got the acoustic guitar and they, they sang, Come Now Is The Time To Worship. And I wasn't part of a vineyard church then, but as we know, that's kind of like um, our number one record 
Come Now Is Time To Worship as a vineyard song. And the moment the chord was played, the whole place fell under the power and presence of God, except for me and my mate. And we were just standing there, and I, I, I said to God, I do not want to get involved here because my mate thinks this stuff's weird. And so, and then I just felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, John, leave him to me, I'll deal with him later, which he did. Uh, at the end, by the end, he was also nailed. And at that, I just kind of like, you know, just put my hands out and say, Lord, okay, whatever, whatever you want. And then pff, that was it. And you know, it's one of the most, um, yeah, mo- one of the most life-defining, life-changing moments in my entire Christian walk. And what's extraordinary is that those missionaries from Sunderland came from the church that I spoke at today. And that building, that very building I was in, in this kind of council estate in the east end of Sunderland, the east side of Sunderland. And uh, I just thought, God, you are amazing. 23 years on, full circle, having been completely and utterly transformed by the power and presence of God. There I am, having an opportunity just to be used by God to speak his word. And, you know, when you start to take a step forward and get involved in the grand story of God, it's amazing what you begin to stumble into. It's amazing the kind of kingdom business God starts to get you involved in, some of the stories, and only God, it's only God that he can set these things up in our lives. And that's my testimony, especially to you who are students and just starting out, you know, um, it's a dangerous thing to come to Hull Uni. I thought I was just coming for three years and I'm still here. And now I'm the pastor of a church. Who knows what will happen to you? <laughs> Married with four kids and a pastor of this church. And, um, but I remember in those early days, and, and I just know that if you, if you just keep saying yes to Jesus day in, day out, you'll be amazed at what he can do through you. And so I want to encourage you to do that. And... Um, we're looking at this book, amazing book, Philippians, and we've entitled this series to Live is Christ and to Die is Gain. And you know, as I look over the last few years, I look at all the things that have gone on in our world, um, who knew that this would have happened, but we've been involved in an historic global pandemic and still feeling the kind of after effects and uh, aftershock of that. We're, uh, we have war on uh, our continent, Uh, We have unrest all over the globe. Um, We have, uh, we've had churches closing. Uh, I counted over the last, COVID and was it last week, McDonald's has closed a couple of times, which is absolutely life-changing. I never thought McDonald's would ever close. Truly the end is here. And and of course we're in uh, difficult times with the economic crisis. And there's two primary thoughts that come to my mind. First of all, life is uncertain and life is brief. You know, life is uncertain, life is brief. I was thinking a few weeks ago where we used to have one of those weeks. I'd had surgery and was in bed for a few days. Um, my wife's um, granddad was uh, killed in a road accident. Uh, my uncle was given hours to live. Our car broke down, our pram broke down. And I'm like, throw me a bone. Who said being a Christian is easy? And, um, and, and so and I heard about a very good friend of mine who's, who's really just uh, in a terrible state. 
spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and it was just like all in, all in one week. And you kind of think, yeah, the Bible's right. Life is uncertain. Life is brief. You know, it talks about this in James 4. That's a summary. You know, why are you busy thinking about what you'll do next year? You don't even know what today or tomorrow will happen. So quit boasting. Put all your plans in pencil, not in pen. Your life is like, uh, like a mist. It's like a vapor. It's, it's here one minute, it's gone the next. This is, this is life. And um, the older I get, I realize the quicker life becomes. And, um, but what if I was to tell you that there's something someone in life where you can bet everything on in terms of certainty. No yes or no or no, no, but yes, yes. There's a coin, you'd have yes on one side, yes on the other. It's a win-win situation. This is what Paul wants to say to us through his word. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Essentially, it's a win-win scenario, which I don't know about you, but I really need to hear that truth when times are uncertain as they are and life is as brief as it is. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Because I've found that actually I think a lot of people are doing worse now than they did in the pandemic. It's kind of like a reverse culture shock into normality and people are finding, and, and I'm, I include myself in this, it's really disorientating life at the moment. And um, I, I think one of the reasons, there's a few reasons why the Queen's death just impacted the globe in the way that it has is that she gave this, this sense of stability, the gift of her longevity in life and what she represents, a life of service and faithfulness, gave this sense of like, it's like an anchor for people. Even people who, say, have no faith. Of course, she had an amazing faith. People who are not even royalists. They would say it gave, in our nation, a real sense of anchoring and stability in times that are so uncertain. And I think that's why a lot of people were very um, moved emotionally uh, by what had happened. It's like people need solidity. They need a safe bet right now. We need something to grab onto. Um, for you university students who are here for the first time or maybe back for your second, third year or whatever, and uh, you think about your life and you think about just the uncertainty of life and you think about money and loans and friendships and relationships and career and all these different things, it's easy, isn't it, just to grab at things it's kind of like a, you want a lifeline, you just want to grab at the, the next thing that feels solid, that feels certain in your life. And, and the best way I would describe this is like, I think people are languishing. And, and if this isn't relevant to you tonight, maybe there's someone in your life that this could be relevant for, but people are languishing. There's like an aimlessness, a lack of purpose. There's, there's a, a stagnation over people where essentially we're, we're like muddling through our days. And so if, if there was like a spectrum and over here was like deep uh, disappointment, discouragement about life, depression, and I was definitely in that place about a year ago. Uh, and then on the other side of the spectrum is flourishing. 
like human flourishing. I, I reckon some of us will be there, some of us will be over here, but a lot of people who, who I'm engaging with and speaking to, they're kind of in the middle, they're, they're in this place of languishing. And, and ask yourself, you know, where do you think you are? And don't pretend to be somewhere where you're actually not. Just, just be real in your own heart. Like, where, where are you? Are you languishing? And we need... And this is why I think Philippians is so important. It's a pastoral letter because I think we need to get the church and help the church to flourishing. And that, that's really my prayer. That's my heart. I, I want to see you flourish in your life. And so I, I'm, I'm really praying that what we draw out of the text over the coming couple of months will really help us to get from languishing to a real sense of flourishing and to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So we need to kind of peep over the walls, if you like, of our, um, of our limitations, of what we hear on the news, of our kind of structures, cultural framework, and see that life in the kingdom is one of flourishing in Christ. Don't look at the story of today and the narrative that you may feel in your, in your life right now, but actually kind of look over the wall and see that, you know, in Christ there is flourishing. It's there. You may, you may not have hope for it yet, but it's there. And God wants to bring you on a, a journey and welcome you into that. I think um, where there is a gap between what we know is true and what we're actually experiencing, where there's that gap, it kind of leaves us in a real place of disappointment, discouragement. And so we want to get to a place that actually what we know to be true is actually what we're experiencing. And we're in sync with that. Paul's letter to Philippians is a letter of joy. And it will help us go from languishing, I believe, to flourishing. When we know that life is brief and life is uncertain, what do we invest our lives in? Now, Paul here, the writer, is a great example because circumstantially things are pretty tough. He's actually writing this and he's in prison. So that's interesting. We talk about a lifeless flourishing it isn't to do with our circumstances. It's an internal thing. Happiness is an inside job. It doesn't come from the outside in. And Paul is in prison and he's speaking to a community that's struggling in a culture which is challenging. And Philippians is, is like one of those books where there's full of Bible verses, almost like in commas, cliches, which you kind of see on a poster in a... Have you ever seen those posters with like puppy dogs and Bible verses? Anyone? Or is that just me? All around my house. And, um, you know, I've learned the secret of being content uh, in all, th all circumstances. You know, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's like, to live is Christ dies again. There's all these like one-off verses in this book and you kind of lose sight of its meaning that actually there are keys here, there are clues there are clues scattered throughout the text that will help us to a place of flourishing and purpose. And so the context is huge. Whenever we read the Bible, we don't want to put our meaning into or upon the text. We want to look at the text and the context and draw out of it what was the writer saying in those times and what maybe the Holy Spirit want to say to us through his word. Paul plants this church, he loves this church. Some say, some commentators say this is his favorite church. He's writing to this church, which he planted, and you can read all about that in Acts chapter 16. 
where there's these like Holy Spirit miraculous moments where um, you have a, a bold bunch of people who find Christ. You have Lydia, who was um, a very wealthy businesswoman, and she got saved, a whole family became Christians, they were baptized. And this is like the, the start of a church. Imagine you're starting a church somewhere. This was at the foundations. See why he loves this church. We have the jailer. You know, Paul was in jail, and the jailer, essentially a civil servant, he became a Christian, and his whole household was saved. And then you have the slave girl who was in poverty and was oppressed by the demonic, and her life was touched deeply. And what do I love about that just right from, and Paul knew this more than anyone, is that the gospel and the good news of Jesus, and, and that's what's so great about hearing from Sam and what he'll have to share next week is the gospel touches everyone, all people. There aren't anyone who's exempt. I want to encourage you, those who, again, are maybe just starting off at university, is never discount people in your lecture theater, in your halls of residence, anybody, by the way they are, the way they behave, the way they act, that they're unreachable for Christ, they're not. You know, when I went to university, I was terribly homesick. I really struggled. Um, I spent a lot of time just in my own, uh, my own room, just, just really in tears and just really, really struggling. And yet, I had some tremendous weird moments. Like, we saw a lot of people come to faith. I remember one time someone came up to me just on one of the buses. It's like the 105 or something. You'll get to know that. And they came up to me and said, I need God in my life. I, ne I never met them. They're just like a stranger. Anyway, they became a Christian. A whole bunch of their mates came on Alpha. They all became Christians. I remember going to a bar um, in, in um, it was within the lawns up in Cottingham, the halls of residence. I went to a bar and this guy who was high on weed and drunk came up to me and said, dude, I can't get anywhere near you. There's a fountain of righteousness flowing from you. <laughs> I'm like, you're showing more enthusiasm than most of the church. And it's like, that is nothing, <laughs> seriously, if you knew my heart and you knew my mind and you knew where I was at, like that is just completely Jesus. And so don't discount yourself, don't discount other people, what God wants to do to work through you. And so you have Paul, this church, and this is his foundations, he loves this church. And he's in, um, this, he's right into this, the, the, the church was planted in the city of, of Philippi, which is this uh, Roman colony in Macedonia. And Paul is, is now an, an, an old man um, in prison, and he carries this church, and you can, you can see that just in the first 11 verses, he carries this church so much in his heart. There's such a bond, an affinity and, you know, when you were in prison in those days, it's kind of a lot different to what it is now, is it, you, you looked after yourself and people brought you um, food and financial support. And, and, and these people are actually helping Paul in prison and bringing gifts, bringing food, and he was so encouraged by them. You can just see the joy, though he's in prison. He's just so encouraged by this church, so encouraged. And he's so grateful for the gifts. And that's why you can see later on in Book of Philippians, chapter four, it talks about generosity. 
and about, I've learned the secret to be content. Whether I'm without anything, whether I'm well-fed, I've learned that secret. You can see it's all in there in the context. And so Paul is this spiritual father writing this pastoral letter to help us to live as Christ and to die is gain. Let me just draw out a few things from this passage. You can see the obvious joy for Paul is in partnership. Partnership. You see that in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel. And I think this again is a reminder that for us who follow Christ, it is to be done not in isolation. That no man is an island. That this thing called Christianity happens with others. Belonging to one another. Attached to one another in community. If you're here and you've been striving to do this Christian, you know, following Christ on your own, it just does not work. We need each other. For those who are just at university, my, my biggest encouragement to you is to get plugged into a local church, get plugged into a community. We're not meant to do this alone. And so through prayer and through giving financially, they were able to spread the good news of Jesus, the gospel, but they were doing it in partnership. Yeah, Paul is alone. He's alone in prison. He's alone in terms of his unique calling as an apostle. But overwhelmingly, we see here that to follow Jesus for Paul was to be done in the context of family and friendship and partnership. You know, one of our values and the main vision of this church is that we're to be a home. People need a home. People need a family. When we're struggling, we, you know, the storms of life, we need to run to the shelter of family. Family is where you can mess up and you can do all sorts of things. And yet you can still run to family and be welcomed. We are a home. We are family. And see, from the beginning, verse 1, Timothy is included in the salutations. He's a, he's a key friend. He's a leader. He's a partner who clearly Paul has relied upon. He hasn't done things to himself. And just the nature that he actually doesn't, uh, like we see in uh, other letters, he doesn't affirm himself as an apostle. He just affirms himself as, like everyone else, a servant of Jesus Christ. In other words, there's just this sense of a natural authority it has with this church because of the relationship and the familiarity that they have. Paul prays for them. He carries them in his heart with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel. And, and it's so important here that we, we understand that it's not just any kind of partnership. We can partner over many things, many stories, many causes, but this was specific to this church, is partnership in the gospel. This is why we gather, this is what we are unified around, the good news of Jesus, his death and his burial and his resurrection. To live is Christ, to die is gain. It's the hope for today and the hope for tomorrow. This is the partnership, and this is why Paul is full of remarkable joy. 
Uh, have you ever seen, and I'm sure we're all guilty of it, whether it's, I was going to say Instagram, but maybe Snapchat, TikTok, just trying to be in there. <laughs> and it's like, oh, you know, I've got a new car, blessed, hashtag blessed. Or I've got a new this, or this happened, hashtag blessed. Or got a boyfriend, hashtag blessed. And it's like, can you imagine Paul doing that? I mean, he's in prison. And it's just amazing how we've turned everything around from what we actually see in the Bible. But for Paul, he understood blessing and he understood remarkable, defiant joy in the midst of pain and difficult circumstances. This joy was bubbling up inside of him because of his partnership with people for the gospel. And it's this gospel that we must orientate our lives around. Verse seven is something, as it says there, we're to defend and confirm at all costs. This is what we do together as the church. We defend the gospel and we confirm the gospel at all costs. Again, verse eight, this understanding of partnership is emphasized and that we're in this together, that he longs for all of them with affection. And I can honestly say this, I just have a, a glimpse of this as a, as a pastor, is that when we're apart, you know, I missed church this morning. I listened to the online service driving back. I, just being here tonight, it just feels like I've been away for ages, just seeing my kids before I came out. It just feels like I've been away for weeks. All it takes is a few hours, and you, you carry people in your heart with affection because you're so grateful, and we're so grateful for you as a church. We're grateful for your time. We're grateful for your energy and for your money and your sacrifice and everything you do to make church happen, which is mainly not just on a Sunday, but it's actually throughout the week. The, the amount of people coming to just serve our community with radical love is just astonishing. And it moves me and I carry you in my heart. And secondly, in chapter one, these first few verses, we see perseverance is key here. Perseverance. So partnership, number one. Secondly, perseverance. If we're to live for Christ and to die and to gain in death, there's clearly a recipe here for perseverance. And what frames this is that God is 100% involved in our finishing well. It's his work. It says here, um, the end of verse, uh, verse six, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus is so at work in our lives. Jesus is praying for us. Jesus is interceding for us. The Holy Spirit is in our hearts. He's a deposit guaranteeing our good future. And that's the hope that we have. He's making us more like Christ. He's making us bold and courageous to share this gospel. He is with us by his spirit, giving us comfort and counsel when we know life is uncertain and brief. Jesus has, I, I just, this isn't in my notes, but I went for lunch today. The pastor of this church took me for lunch. And it was a burger, and it was a basic burger with chips. And there was like a little jar, and I thought, oh, that's nice. It like a chutney or something. It was a pair of plastic gloves. And I'm like, what on earth are these for? And it's to help, it's, it's so you put them on to eat the burger, which I've never, has anyone experienced that in a 
I don't know, only in Sunderland. <laughs> and so, uh, but you know, Jesus, he's not putting his gloves on and not wanting to get his hands dirty. He's, he's involved in the mess of humanity. He's not there sat on the edge of the universe with his, you know, his AirPods in, you know, listening to worship music. He's there involved in the mess and brokenness of people's lives. And we can be confident that he who began a good work in us, he will finish it. God always pays for what he orders. He always finishes what he starts. I'm a terrible finisher in life, just in general. I love starting things, I'm not so good at finishing. But I have confidence, and the perseverance that I have is not based on my ability, but it's the good work that God has started in me and in you. And this is the very same perspective that frames Hebrews chapter 12. It says that Jesus being the author and perfecter slash finisher of our faith, we are able to persevere. It tells us to persevere in faith. Why? Because he is the author and the finisher. So God, who started this work in us because he first loved us, he chose us. He saved us, he rescued us, and he will finish that. And that is the confidence that we have in this life. So question, what does this look like in between? As we start off in life and as we persevere so that we can, to live is Christ and to die is gain, what do we need to do? Well, verse nine, it says this, and this is my prayer, and I'll finish with this, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ to the glory and praise of God. Here is this spiritual father, Paul. What, what is he praying? What, what does he want to pray? And, and what is he teaching them in this prayer? Because there's a teaching text here in this prayer. Well, he loves this church as we've talked about, and it's full of joy and encouragement, yet he's keen. He's keen to see them grow and not settle. He's keen for them to develop and mature. It's called theologically the work of sanctification. He's keen for them to become more and more like Christ. That is why we ultimately exist and doing here on this earth, is that we're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And out of that comes our purpose. First and foremost, it's love. It's about love primarily for God and then others rooted, interestingly here, in knowledge. So it's not the kind of love that we may associate love with. It's not feeling orientated. It's not love that can become uh, an idol that's sentimental, that's overly emotional, a love that ebbs and flows. This is a love for God that comes from our knowledge of God through his word. This is an objective truth. It's, it's more of an art rather than a science, but how we apply this is where we get the insight. So I was thinking about this. How, how do we take this love that we grow in knowledge by studying God's word and by spending time with him, having a relationship with him? Is that we've got to learn how do we best love and serve others? You know, Jesus loved 
And that was manifest in different ways. One time he's turning the other cheek, another time he's turning over the tables. How we treat someone who we love, maybe our kids or someone who's struggling in addiction, sometimes it's tough love. Sometimes it's a love that carries a discipline and some boundaries and say, no, I love you too much not to tell you some truth here because I want you to flourish. I want what's best for you. And at the moment, this thing is killing you. And yeah, the loving thing is just to like go, yeah, yeah, whatever, you, you do you, you live your best life, I'll do me. But that's not Christian biblical love. And so we've got to have a wisdom, we've got to grow in a knowledge of love and how to apply it. And the reason we do that, the reason we abound more and more in love with knowledge and insight, as it says here, is that we're able to know what is best rather than simply what is good. Do you know, in, in terms of our Christian walk, most of our decisions aren't based on what is right or wrong. It's actually what is good or best. It's so subtle, and this is why we've got to grow and mature in Christ. Most of the decisions we we'll have to make aren't actually that easy. It takes wisdom in the gray to understand what the best thing is to do. What is vital? Don Carson, theologian, pastor, pinpoints the outworking of what Paul is saying like this. And it's a bit old school what he's saying, but you'll get the gist. What, what do you do with your time? How many hours do you spend with your children? Have you spent any time in the past two months witnessing to someone about the gospel? How much time do you spend watching television or other forms of personal relaxation? Are you committed in your use of your time to what is best? What have you read in the last six months? If you've found time for newspapers or news magazines, a, a couple of whodunits, see what's a bit old school, a novel or two, or perhaps a trade journal. Have you also found time for reading a commentary or some other Christian literature that will help you understand your Bible or improve your spiritual discipline or broaden your horizons? Are you committed in your reading habits to what is best? He then goes on to say, behind all of your answers to all of these questions are choices. The last thing I want to do is generate a load of guilt because of the choices constantly before us. But if our love abounds more and more, shaped all the while by knowledge and moral insight, then these are the kinds of choices we will be wanting to make and make them well. And so that's the challenge for us. And really that third P is priorities. It's about priorities. So we're in partnership with one another, we're persevering. And if we want to flourish, the key is priorities. The key is discerning what is vital, what is best, not just what is good. See, it talks about here becoming blameless, and you think, come on. Paul, what are you talking about? Becoming blameless. And blameless here doesn't mean perfect. It literally means tested by the sun. So just as when you want to see whether something is genuine or not, if it's marred in any way, you hold it up to the light of the sun so our lives should be open to scrutiny. And if we're abounding in love, cultivating real discernment, then there'll actually be fewer and fewer blemishes for people to see. That's why Paul goes on, doesn't he? We'll read later in verse 27 when we come to this. He says this, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so he's passionate that his gospel isn't just 
about words, but is backed up by behavior and right living and flourishing. And what does this all end in? Verse 11, to the glory and praise of God. So let me finish by asking you this tonight. In life, what is motivating you this night? What is motivating you? Are you motivated by fear of failure? Are you motivated by what other people may think or say about you? Are you motivated because you're a perfectionist? All of our motives, my motives, are often mixed. Some good, some not so good. And it's constantly asking the Holy Spirit to search and examine our motives. But the reality is, is that while all our motives are mixed, when it comes to the Christian life, when all the self-seeking with all its ugliness is put to one side, when all the dross is put to one side, deep down, we want our lives to result in the praise and the glory of the name of Jesus. For people to look at our lives and say, isn't God amazing that he could do such an incredible thing with a person like that? That is, that is the motivation. We want to do everything so that his name and his fame and his renown is exalted and is lifted. That is the best and purest motivation. This is what Paul ends this little section with is that, I love this church, I'm in prison, I'm writing to you, I want you to flourish. Make sure your motivation is for the glory of God. So partnership, really important. Perseverance and priorities. Three Ps for your new notebook. How about that, eh? Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And to stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church, go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.